3: I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The latest way immigration smugglers are trying to recruit more help is by advertising on social media apps such as TikTok, Instagram, and Snapchat. Posts are promising hundreds or thousands of dollars for a few hours of driving. The problem is, the recruits often don't know what they're in for until they are close, picking up migrants by the border and driving them inland. Alicia Caldwell, immigration reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for what to know. Next, scientists have been very excited after detecting what could be one of the most powerful explosions of its kind ever seen in space. Space telescopes picked up a bright gamma-ray burst 2.4 billion light-years away that could have been triggered by a star exploding in a supernova and possibly creating a black hole. Miriam Kramer, space reporter at Axios, joins us for all the latest space news. Finally, marijuana use is becoming the new normal for young adults. As more states continue to legalize cannabis and the stigma surrounding it wears off, more Americans are lighting up. A big part of the growth is coming from young women as more companies are offering products geared toward them. This November, five more states have marijuana in the ballot. Daniel DeVise, reporter at The Hill, joins us for more. It's news without the noise, let's dive in.
4: One thing that we know for a fact, and that is there are maybe as many as 100,000 migrants who are across the border waiting to cross into the state of
3: Texas. Joining us now is Alicia Caldwell, immigration reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Alicia. Thanks for having me. Well, let's talk about an interesting thing that's going on right now with immigration, uh, with illegal immigration specifically. We're seeing smugglers start advertising, I guess you could say, posting on social media Post-its are offering quick cash for easy work, for easy amount of driving. And unwittingly, sometimes people are accepting it. And what they're finding out is that they're actually there to pick up immigrants and then kind of drive them a little further inland into some major cities. The uh, law enforcement uh, does know about this. There have been a uh, uh, Arizona governor has uh, sent a letter to social media companies uh, trying to get them to crack down on all this stuff. So it seems like it's becoming more and more of an issue. So, Alicia, tell us what we're seeing out there
5: smugglers are using social media apps to put postings that look like a a job advertisement, right? But
3: to be clear, they're
5: not paid advertisements. They're sort of user generated posts that say, you know, use abbreviations, HMU hit me up and LMK let me know drivers wanted. In some cases they've got like dollar signs and, you know, emojis with like the smiley face and the, the dollar signs on the eyes and so on advertising for drivers. And the idea is you click on the post and then connect directly with whoever's posting that anonymous person and go from there. And and you're right. They never say outright, hey, we are looking for someone to pay thousands of dollars to drive to the border and smuggle immigrants who have just crossed over. It's not as direct as that. I'm told by defense lawyers and prosecutors and and law enforcement at large that the ads are a little bit more obtuse than that. Right. And specifically because they don't want to get flagged because it, you're not allowed to advertise for or post for illegal activity on these social media platforms. That is, as the companies pointed out to us, specifically prohibited by their community standards. That said, you know, some of these are flying so fast over these platforms that apparently they're not being flagged. And they're routinely being clicked on and then they disappear. But the user on the U.S. side is now connected to whoever has
3: made that post you heard from John Modlin. He's the top Border Patrol agent for the agency's Tucson sector. He said about 90% of the drivers they're seeing in post-arrest interviews are admitting that that's how they were recruited, through social media. That's a lot. The Cochise
5: County Sheriff's Office down in southern Arizona, because it's basically a daily occurrence. that They've they've broken up hundreds of attempts. I think it was well over 700 between March 1st and the end of September or so, which is the first several months of an operation that they launched called Operation Safe Street. They're really looking to crack down on this, in part because obviously it's an inherently illegal activity, but the load drivers, as they call them, are also being told by the smuggling coordinators, hey, no chance you'll be caught. But, you know, if you get caught, run, because you're not going to get paid unless you make your delivery, right? So in one instance, a defendant, according to federal court records, told law enforcement he was on the phone via WhatsApp with the coordinator he'd been working with. And that driver, or that coordinator rather, told him to speed up and, and outrun, try to outrun the police. The driver did, was you know tried local police and, and state police tried to stop him, didn't work, stopped the car briefly. The migrants got out and were told to run. They were apprehended pretty quickly. And then police used what, what are called stop sticks, right? So they throw out something on the highway that pops your tires. Mm-hmm. The driver was able to navigate his car off the highway into a gas station parking lot. And then he and a passenger were quickly arrested.
3: Uh-huh.
5: And in hindsight, the driver told law enforcement he'd been using social media and connecting via WhatsApp with his coordinator. Yeah.
3: You know the smuggling job is not just, hey, let's get across the border. It's also you know agreeing to drop migrants off further in, you know uh, major cities, Phoenix or Tucson. So they need somebody on the inside to get them the other part of the way. And there's an anonymity to this, right? If you're just a person they picked up on social media, you don't really know anything about their operations. So you can't really go back and turn on them, let's say, and give me information that's going to nail down the smuggler. So that's kind of why it works for them. Law enforcement,
5: again, you know, sort of Local, on up to the state and federal level, have said these drivers literally have no idea who they're dealing with. In some cases, some drivers have told law enforcement post arrest, "Yeah, I've done this four or five times, and this is the first time I got caught." But I, I don't know. I just click on ads or the or posts rather, or the the same coordinator will use them multiple times. I, I did hear from one defense attorney, um, and this didn't make it into the print story, but that in some cases, drivers who had reported multiple encounters or multiple uh, efforts weren't always paid what they were told. You know, you're dealing with anonymous posters offering large amounts of money. They'll pay you electronically. But if you don't get all your money, if you were to say paid, offered 1500 for four passengers, you know, 1500 ahead, and the guy only ends up paying you 2000 well, what are you going to do? Who are you going to call in that moment? Yeah, exactly. And the answer is no one. And so vice versa, or conversely, when, when you get caught, you can't really say much other than, I don't know, here's my phone. I connected with this person and away we went. And a lot of these folks, I'm told, pretty guilty pretty quickly, as the U.S. Attorney in Arizona explained to me yesterday. There's not a lot of wiggle room for some of these cases. Your car is pulled over, you, perhaps you fled, whatever the situation is, but ultimately you're in custody. Chances are the migrants in your car, if they've come from the desert in southern Arizona, may still have camouflage on because almost every migrant who crosses the border now in Arizona, in the Tucson sector, I'm told, gets a full kit headed mm-hmm. to a camouflage and a cell phone. And by the time they get to your car, they're often still wearing that. And there's cameras everywhere, yeah. and there's border patrol everywhere. So they're, they're
3: catching these guys a lot. Alicia Caldwell, immigration reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you.
4: This particular gamma ray burst is about 2 billion light years away, and it is the brightest that they've seen. And they think that it actually was caused by the star going supernova and leaving a black hole
3: behind. Joining us now is Miriam Kramer, space reporter at Axios. Thanks for joining us, Miriam. Thanks for having me. Well, we're going to talk about some interesting stuff right now. Whenever I think of gamma rays or gamma radiation or something, I'm always thinking of like the Incredible Hulk and comics because that's how he got his powers and all. But uh, something that re- happened very recently on October 9th, actually, scientists have been really excited because they saw these huge gamma ray bursts happening in space. They were so bright. It was like one of the brightest explosions they've seen, and it uh, happened relatively nearby. So they're very excited right now at uh, you know the research possibilities that come with it. As they say, it could help us understand a little bit more about black holes, dark matter, uh, maybe even about how uh, heavy elements are formed. So Miriam, tell us a little bit more about these gamma ray bursts that just happened.
4: That's right. Yeah. So gamma ray bursts are just really interesting events. But like you said, they're some of the most extreme events that scientists can observe in space. There are these telescopes in space that are specifically designed to like look for these gamma ray bursts as they're happening, because the thing about them is that they usually signal that something really interesting is happening however many billions of light years away from us. So this particular gamma ray burst is about 2 billion light years away, and it is the brightest that they've seen. And they think that it actually was caused by the star going supernova and leaving a black hole behind. So like that alone is really fascinating. So any data they can gather about that will help them learn more about these really extreme moments in space basically.
3: Elements heavier than iron. So we're talking about gold, other things like that. You know, it's always been a big curiosity how they form in the universe and we know a few different ways of how they do, but these gamma ray bursts could also be a way that they kind of uh, form and then get dispersed out through throughout the universe.
4: Yeah, exactly. This is one of the coolest parts of the discovery, I think, which is that they have uh, telescopes that are actually sort of able to see the aftermath of this event. So they'll be looking for these heavy metals that are being spread out through the universe. And previously, like scientists have known that these elements were created in the mergers of neutron stars, so really dense cores of like dead stars coming together and creating these big shock waves that ripple the universe effectively and spread these larger elements through it. And, you know, really light elements like hydrogen, like were created during the Big Bang. But when it comes to these heavier elements, stars are what produce them. Um, So I don't know. I think it's like a pretty, uh, pretty poetic thing in some way when, you know, if you're looking at like your wedding band or something like that, it's like that gold
5: probably
3: came from a star. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great, great way to think of that. One of the things that you wrote about was the investment slump going on with the space industry, which is also an interesting thing because we're hearing a lot more space news right now. Obviously, these things happen over time. So last time we talked about the DART mission, that had been in place for a couple of years, all that. And it takes time to really get those things going. But right now we're seeing a slump in investment. Obviously, we're seeing an economic downturn in the country. But this kind of sets the scene for what's going to happen in the next few years when it comes to the space industry.
4: Absolutely. Yeah. And it's interesting because this lump that we're seeing is really in, in sort of startup investment. So you have venture capital firms that are really not investing heavily into particularly speculative space startups. So when you're thinking of that, I are thinking of like companies that are working on privatized space stations or asteroid mining, which is the big one everybody kind of comes back to, you know, on a, on a cyclical 10-year cycle. But like, those far future concepts are, are sort of exciting to the marketplace, and they certainly were in 2021. I mean, there was a huge amount of investment, at least relative to what had previously been in these sort of speculative parts of the industry. Um, and now, like those same companies are facing some leaner
3: times. Kind of even furthering on to this, uh, you, you wrote another piece about space travel, how it's really a long way from what they've been billing it as, you know, if it can be some type of commercial thing, you know, akin to the airline industry. Uh, part of it is because, you know, uh, other than the tourist factor, you know, what else are you going to do? I mean, there's nothing, you're not going to go out to the moon or to space station and conduct business, right? It's it's really just kind of a yeah. quick uh, vacation, quick kind of cool thing to do. And so there's even when we talk about uh, civilian space travel, we're... We're really a long way out from, you know, the ultimate potential it could have.
4: I think the most interesting thing to me about that is that, you know, air travel has a very obvious sort of use case. Like people need to travel for business. People need to travel for personal reasons, to see their families, to go on vacation. You know, when you travel on an airplane, you get off the airplane and there are people there and air to breathe and things to do. (laughs) Um, But when it comes (laughs) to space, that just like isn't the case yet. Maybe in the far future, it will be, and you'll have private space stations and space stations where you're manufacturing goods, and you know like if there's a Futurama future where there's a just like a, a theme park on the moon, you know it's like there's all of this <laughs> sort of speculative idea, but none of that is reality yet, and yeah. there isn't necessarily the market demand for it. It's mostly governments and private individuals who are, who are trying to make that future happen, so sort of remains to be seen like what? it will look like eventually. But comparing it to the airline industry is definitely too early.
3: (laughs) Miriam Kramer, space reporter at Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks again for having me. Always fun.
2: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss.
0: Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: This is the decriminalization of it. It's the decriminalization of it. And the fact is, as many states have already done that. And so this is consistent
3: with what is happening in many states across the country. Joining us now is Daniel DeVisey. Reporter at The Hill. Thanks for joining us, Daniel.
6: Thank you for having me.
3: Well, let's talk about marijuana. And let's talk about how it's becoming the new normal among young adults. So obviously, we've seen a lot of states move into the legalization territory. There's a lot of stigma around marijuana that has been going by the wayside now. I think there's five states that have it on the ballot coming up in uh, November, so there will be even more if all those pass. But right now, what we're seeing is that at least uh, more than two-fifths, about 40% of young men and women are now using cannabis, at least on occasion, and uh, we've just seen that number keep ticking up and up and up. So Daniel, tell us a little bit more about it.
6: I'm old enough to remember the late seventies and into the eighties. I wasn't in high school then, but I have older cousins who were, and that was like the all time peak of kind of young people exploring illegal pot, you know, in high school and in college, it was absolutely rampant. I mean, and it was the subject of this huge war on drugs in the eighties. And then pot use went way, way, way down and stayed down for a long time. And now we have this new generation of young people who are probably using it about as frequently as like their, you know, uncles and aunts were in the late seventies, but now it's legal and it's a totally different thing. It's, it's being viewed as like almost like a craft product, like (laughs) something you'd get at like a, a craft brewery or a distillery or like a chocolate factory or something. It's a totally different feeling to it. And it's even got a different name, you know, cannabis i don't even remember that word from when i was young but now that's what they call it
3: younger women they're closing that gender gap with uh you know traditionally younger men were the ones that were smoking the most that
6: really caught my eye because if you look at the charts like 10 12 years ago around 2010 2011 about a quarter of young women were using some kind of cannabis and about a third of young men and so in the 10 years since young men are using it more and more so they're up around 40 some percent but young women are way up and basically equaling the usage levels of guys and so it's women who have really driven these numbers up and you think about it it's being advertised in places like Colorado and Oregon as something natural something organic and I'm not saying that's not true I mean there's there's veracity to all of this something not caloric it doesn't really have calories attached to it and it's in spritzers and these kind of like all sorts of different products and yes women are using this stuff in much much greater numbers older women too but especially younger women
3: we're getting a lot of this stuff from uh gallup right and and their recent polling when they look at attitudes Uh, for this
6: Gallup is great because Gallup has been asking about this stuff since the 60s. We're pretty sure from Gallup that probably overall adult cannabis use is probably at an all-time high. But these more specific numbers are from federal data. There's been federal reports put out on this stuff every year going back to the 80s, even to the 70s in some cases. So I'm, I'm actually triangulating from a few different sources. What I was driving at is I had this feeling that there's this young population in this country who are many, many, many of them are using cannabis and many more will be if, if places like North and South Dakota go legal with recreational pot. And then you know, five, 10, 20 years from now, those people are gonna be in their 30s and 40s. And I just think there'll be this huge population of people who are engaging in cannabis in a, in a way that is, is alien to us who are older, you know, who, yeah. who've never seen a landscape like that, right?
3: You know, so five uh, states have it on the ballot coming up in November, Arkansas, Maryland, Missouri, North and South Dakota. And, you know, there is some other data that supports that, you know, uh, marijuana usage has increased in states that have legalized it. So, yeah, exactly to your point, right? It, it's going to just keep going up.
6: I think Vermont just went legal with recreational dispensaries, like literally like this month. And Vermont is at 53% of adults, this is young adults, 18 to 25, who said they used cannabis in the last year. That's a majority. Colorado is nearing a majority of young adults. D.C. is third on this list. This is from federal data. It's astonishing. So what that means is, as I occasionally do, if you walk up and down the streets in D.C., you see and you smell. (laughs) evidence of cannabis use fairly out in the open. And this was not the way when I was in high school in Chicago, you know, people didn't uh, very often walk around smoking weed. I mean, you'd have gotten in a great deal of trouble.
3: <laughs> well, to your point, right? I mean, in Vermont, it sounds like that's a community that was just waiting for it to go legal so everybody couldn't be a little bit more open about it. And, you know, we saw what the Biden administration was doing with pardoning all those people that had federal, uh, mm-hmm. you know, simple possession convictions. A lot of people are saying that could be paving the way for some type of federal legalization or at least rescheduling of marijuana on the um, as a Schedule One drug.
6: Well, right cuz right now if if you're in DC, there's this bewildering like map of rules and laws depending on if you're on federal land where I think it's still illegal <laughs> or you're on district land where it's technically not illegal but it's sort of a gray area and it's you almost don't know where to step <laughs> if you're in DC, I suppose, and you're a young person using cannabis, you have to sort of be a little bit careful.
3: Daniel DeVise, reporter at the Hill. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, man.